Collins, really glad you're here with us this morning. We uh, are in our series, or it's my series, I guess you could say, uh, called Following Jesus, hashtag Jesus Worth Following. The idea is to follow Jesus through the pages of the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we talked about spiritual formation, and we, we, we had an encounter where Jesus kind of had a, um, an encounter with some of the religious leaders of Judaism at the time, and uh, really made a, a clear distinction, a clear break from the ritual and the law of the elders, or the tradition of the elders. He made a clear distinction that that was not what he was about, and that really what it was about for him was this idea of the, the law in you. And for our context as Christians, the concept is Christ in us. And we, we call that spiritual formation, becoming like Christ. You know, I'm on a journey this year. My journey is to love and live like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the mission that I have. And if I'm ever going to accomplish that mission, spiritual formation is required. I'm going to have to make Christ in me. He's going to have to be formed inside of me. So today in the lesson, we're going we're gonna to keep talking about forming Christ in us. I mean, when you read the Gospels, isn't that what they're about anyways? The good news, the message of Jesus, and the whole point is to read them, to learn them, to absorb them, and let them become part of who you are. Let Christ dwell within you. A couple of confessions I need to make this morning. One, well, just one confession. <sighs> I gave up caffeine years ago because I'm really hyper and I don't sleep and I get headaches and uh, caffeine and me just don't do well. I drank a lot for a long time, so I gave it up. But this morning, I accidentally poured myself a cup of regular coffee without knowing it. So if I start getting really hyper and if I start sweating and yelling and start ticking up here, please don't be alarmed. It's just the caffeine. But I can tell you right now, I am literally shaking in my body right now. So first confession, I just want to get that out of the way. But I want to tell you a story about a moth. Moth walks into a podiatrist's office. Now, a podiatrist is a foot doctor. So the moth goes in to see the doctor, and the doctor sits down with him and says, hey, how can I help you? And uh, the moth says, well, I don't know if there's any help for me. Uh, I spend most of my days just, just trying not to put that loaded gun on my nightstand up to my head. My, uh, my job is miserable. My boss is out to get me. Doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter how hard I work, nothing's good enough for him, and I am getting exhausted. It's taking its toll on me in incredible, incredible ways. Not to mention the fact that I went back to school this year and, and I'm studying and I'm doing horrible. I don't even understand what's going on. And then on top of it, my wife is just cold. There's no love in our marriage anymore. We go, we lie down in bed at night and, and it, we might as well just be two strangers. There's no communication. And I can't, I can't help but feel that I'm just circling a drain. And uh, my kids, one of them's ran away. I don't even know where she went. My youngest baby ran away with a crowd that, that no one would want their 
their daughter to run away with. And my older son stopped talking to me years ago. And, 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 and it's, just a, it's just a complete disaster. And it just, it just takes everything within me to go day in and day out. And I just don't know how long this is going to keep going on. The podiatrist is listening to this, and when he had an opportunity to, to interrupt, he, he stopped him. He said, wow, that's a, that's a pretty intense story. You've got a lot going on there. Um, I don't think I'm the right guy. I think maybe you should see a, a counselor. I mean, why on earth did you come in here to see me? And the moss said, oh, well, the light was on. <laughs> Turn with me. To Mark chapter 7. We're going to pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together. And thank you for this morning and the incredible worship that we had this morning with all the singing and the connecting. And God, what a special joy it was to hear Candy sing and be accompanied by Peter. Thank you that his voice is recovering, God. We can't wait to have him back in the regular rotation. It's such a blessing to have so many talented people. Thank you for this great fellowship and the love and the encouragement that we're getting from one another. And we're so looking forward to what you're going to do with it in the future and how you're going to multiply and bring glory to your name wherever Christians come together. So be with us today. Help us to examine your word with all of our hearts. Let it sink in this morning. Help Christ be formed in us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, I don't know why you're here today. Did you walk in because the lights were on? I don't know. But I hope that when you leave here, you're going to leave here at least feeling like it was worth it. And I can tell you this, if you're ever going to feel like it's worth it, and I want you to hear me, this is loud and clear, you're going to have to let Christ be formed in you a little bit this morning. You're going to have to open yourself up. If you don't do that, today's going to be any other day. But if you open up your heart a little bit this morning, if you open up your mind to it, you're going to find out that there is something here for you this morning. It's great to have the kids, high school and teenagers with us, and I can't wait as we continue uh, to do this to start seeing some of the, the kids up on stage performing with us, even sharing, even talking, because this church is, is your church too. It belongs to you as much as it belongs to me and anyone else in this room. And we want everyone to know that, that this is the place to belong. Matthew chapter, sorry, Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his present presence secret. So uh, we ended last week, if you were with us, Jesus was in an area called Gesenaret. If you look on the, the map, uh, you'll see the word Magdala up there by the Sea of Galilee on the top of our map. That's the, roughly the area of Gesenaret. And that's where Jesus was last week when the Pharisees and teachers of law came to him and accused him of violating the tradition of the elders. And that's where he had that very strong interaction with them, called them hypocrites, and really drew a line in the sand. I mean, he really just cut... The, the umbilical cord, if there was one, between him and the, 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 the static, the stale, the ritualistic, the, the, the legalistic version of Judaism that, that he wanted nothing to do with, and nor did God. And so after that encounter, Jesus leaves, and, and you would think that this would be a great time to go down to Jerusalem. 
Because Jesus is at the height of his popularity. He had just spoken to 20, 25,000 people, not just days before this. He had done the miracle of feeding those people. And he had walked on water during the night to get to this side of the lake. I mean, all these incredible things. They were ready to make him king at this point. You would think, now is the time, Jesus. Let's go down to Jerusalem. You got the people on your side. It's ready. Let's go. You become king. Let's go and do this thing right. Where does Jesus go? Does he go to Jerusalem? No, he goes here. We don't even see it on the map. It was an area called Syrophoenicia to a city called Tyre in the direction of that arrow and its sister city Sidon. These were very Gentile territories. Galilee was a, was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. When I say Gentile, I'm just talking about non-Jew. And it was a mixture. There was a very strong Jewish community with a Jewish culture there, but it was also mixed with a lot of Greek influence, Greek language, and other non-Jews. If you go down into Judea, where Jerusalem is, down at the bottom of the map, that was all Jewish, all the time. Does Jesus go there? No, he goes off to Gentile land, non-Jew land. This is what's today called Lebanon. The people that lived there were, were ancient enemies of Israel at different times in their history throughout the years. The city of Tyre was not a friend of the Israelites in its history. There were some good times, but there were lots of bad times. And it's this place that Jesus goes. He goes. And it was a good thing that he had that interaction with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Because I'm sure for his followers to suddenly shoot off into complete Gentile territory would have been a very uncomfortable thing to do. I mean, they'd be washing themselves all the time being in that land because everything's unclean there. Good thing he had that little prep about the ceremonial cleanliness and what it really was all about. Good thing he explained to them that it wasn't about washing ourselves of people uh, or of food, but it was really about washing our thoughts and our attitudes and our, and our actions. So there they go. They head on off over there. What's interesting about Tyre is in its history, it was a city-state, but it was also at the same time an island fortress. I love history. I'm going to give you a little history today. You may not like history. It's your time to pause and take a nap. <laughs> but in five minutes, you have to wake back up because, because you've got to get something out of this message today. But the history of Tyre, it's a, it was a city-state and a fortified island. It was a unique place, quite powerful Now it, throughout ancient days. But, but then there was this prophecy by a guy named Ezekiel around 576 B.C. And he said that it would be destroyed and that it would be destroyed like waves on, an, on, a, on a seashore. And the, the idea there is that just sort of over time, at one after another, nation after nation would just sort of beat it down into nothing. Nebuchadnezzar, about that same time, attacked the city of Tyre. I wish I had, oh, let me show you, I do have a map. Here's a map. If you see on the right, it says Old Tyre, and then there's the island of Tyre. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Old Tyre. He leveled it, destroyed it, but he couldn't get to the island fortress. Many historians didn't know this. In fact, they thought Ezekiel's prophecy was, was, must be invalid because there was no evidence of an Old Tyre there on the mainland. Many years later, Alexander... The great decided that he wanted to defeat Tyre. Now, old Tyre had already been laid waste by Nebuchadnezzar. We're talking centuries later. But Alexander wanted to go worship in the temple on the island. They wouldn't let him in. 
So he did what every you know, ruler, conqueror does. He took all the rubble from old Tyre, poured it into the water, and made like a, a, a bridge to get to the island. Which explains why archaeologists never found old Tyre, because it was thrown into the ocean. Today, Tyre is not even an island anymore. It's a peninsula because over the years, the sediment from the, the, the action of the ocean just kind of filled out the bridge, and now it's an isthmus. But Alexander went across, sieged the city, and in seven months destroyed it. And, and not just Alexander and, and Nebuchadnezzar, but other kingdoms, the Persians and others, they all took a toll on Tyre, exactly like Ezekiel prophesied would happen hundreds of years before it occurred exactly what he said like waves on a, on a shore nation after nation would beat against Tyre until it was destroyed after Alexander came the Romans they defeated it they conquered it and 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 uh, in about 126 BC they made it a province and then they they made it a capital city of Syrophoenicia and by the time of Jesus' day, Tyre and Sidon, its sister city, were prosperous Roman port cities. But, but their kingdoms were long since gone. Exactly as Ezekiel prophesied they would be. Okay, wake up for those of you that fell asleep. <clears throat> the interesting thing about this area was there was actually a hunger here. There was a spiritual thirst, even in a gentile land in mark chapter 3 you may remember some people from tyre and sidon came to hear jesus they wanted to know about him maybe that's why jesus went there there was some there was an open field there there was some work to be done there it wasn't time to become king it was time to go and pay a visit to the gentiles You know, Jesus had broke with the Jewish oral tradition, the, the law of the elders, the whole ceremonial hedge that they put around the actual law of God. He had broke with that. And so it made perfect sense for him to go to this area. If nothing else, Jesus was at least consistent. Can we give him that? We read on. Verse 25, in fact, as soon as she sure heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So Jesus goes there, and from every indication when you read the passage, it sure seems like he went there to kind of get away. But like with everything, Jesus couldn't get away. Because his notoriety and who he was followed him. And he got into a house. I have no idea whose house this was. Maybe it was one of the people that came and saw him back in Mark chapter 3. Who knows? But he went there. He was in the house. And here comes this woman. And the Bible describes her as a Syrophoenician woman, meaning she was born in that area. But she was a Greek. Now, the word Greek there is also the same word that they would use for Gentile. So it probably just implies that she spoke Greek. I have a joke for you. What do you call someone who's trilingual? Sorry, don't, if you know the joke, don't answer it. What do you call someone who speaks three languages? That's what I meant to say. Trilingual. What do you call someone who speaks two languages? What do you call someone that speaks one language? American. Let me just tell you. Jesus was not an American. 
contrary to popular belief. And I say that to point out something really crucially important. We cannot pour our context into the Bible. It's so easy to do. We're 21st century Americans. And when we read the Bible, we read it in our context. And that is a grave mistake. All kinds of errors come from pouring your context into the Bible. Everything from slavery to socialism and beyond has been justified in Scripture because people poured their context into it. Instead of learning its context, what it meant at the time, having a little bit of sense of the background, and then letting it speak to us. I know you took a cat nap when I did some history, but there's a reason why I do some history. There's a reason why we dig a little bit behind the scenes, because we're trying to get context. We're trying to connect and understand a passage in its proper context. What did it mean then? And then we can ask ourselves, what does it mean for us? So Jesus clearly spoke Greek. He obviously spoke Aramaic because that was the language of the Jews at the time. And he also spoke Hebrew because that was spoken in services. So we know at least he was trilingual. Clearly, he was not American. <laughs> now, this woman had an issue. She had an, uh, a daughter who was demon-possessed. As a parent, none of us can imagine, I mean, we can only imagine the torment she must have been in. Some of us have gone through difficult times with our children. I've heard some of the stories, and I don't know how you're still standing. I don't know how you made it through. I can't imagine having the pain and the torment and the torture of a very sick child. And the desperation and the hurt that you must, be, that you must have felt. And clearly that's the case for this woman. It doesn't matter context here. We can relate as humans. She had a need. It was desperate. And she went to the one guy she heard who might be able to do something about it. And that was Jesus Christ. You know, I want to say something to us as Christians in the 21st century. We are not the only people that Jesus can help. Even in other cultures, even in other uh, 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 societies, even as different as they may be from us, Jesus can fix it. Jesus can help even people in those situations who are so distant, so different from us. And you know what I love about Jesus? He didn't say no to this woman. He allowed her to come. And he did that with countless other non-Jews or unclean Jews. He was an open door. He let them in. You know, one of, the, one of the core values that we have talked about in Simi Church, and I'm sharing with Shoreline too, is, is this idea of being one in heart, of, 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 of having a sense of unity about us. And that's so important because we need to have community, and we need to be able to rely and trust and, and to know each other's there for each other, get on the same page. You know what I'm saying? But there's another value that we need to add, and it's this idea of letting people belong before they believe. That's a tough one for us. We like our context. 
We like our circle and our community and our friends, and we even teach our kids, watch out for those troublemakers, and we try to tell other people, stay out of the areas where you're going to be influenced negatively, and that's all good, and that's part of it. But we can't do that to the detriment of a woman who's in pain. We can't do that to the detriment of a person who's hurting, who's suffering, and needs help. And Jesus is the only fix. We have to, as a church, let people belong even before they believe. And that's going to create a weird environment. And there's a point in time where we may need to step in and we may have to have some talks and maybe draw a line. But let's not start with the line. The Pharisees started with the line. It was there, and you were either in the inside of it or you were not. And no one was allowed in unless you went through their system. And not so with Jesus Christ. And praise God, and I hope it becomes a value you hold into your heart, not so with you either. We let people belong. Before... They believe. Verse 27. First let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I know what just happened there. You went, that's not letting her belong before she believed. Boy, that's a rude statement, is it not? I mean, he called her a dog. She came for help, and he said, I'm not going to give you help. You're a dog. Well, Joe, you're not being consistent, and neither apparently is Jesus. Now, context. Remember context? Let, let's understand this passage first before we pass judgment. It is true in 21st century America, this is bigoted, this is racist, this is chauvinistic to our very, very sensitive ears. It's our context. We expect offense. We expect it. Real or perceived, we believe it's there. It wasn't their context. That's not how this woman understood the statement. Let's talk about how did she understand the statement? Well, first off, I want you to notice something. The word dog here is tinerion. Now, it doesn't mean wild, rabid dog roaming the streets that's disgusting and you just have to shoot to put out of its misery. It actually means puppy. Little dog. <laughs> We're already softening people's hearts just with that. See what context can do to you? So he called her a little dog. That ain't tons better, but it's better than what probably the Pharisees would have said to her. And it makes it a little better. Context is helping us. But then there's something else I want you to notice here. The, the statement is not a direct attack. It's actually a comparison. And so technically, I don't know that you would, you could necessarily say he was directly calling her a dog. He was making a comparison between children and pets. Now, I'm going to get into that in a second. But I want you to pause for a second, because I like to try to, as my, my friend Marty loves to say, 
I want to smell the text for a minute. What is it like to be there? What if we were a disciple in that room? We had just left the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who were like, you know, measuring out water in eggshells, remember, and pouring it on their hand and, you know, washing their hands and saying blessings just because they walked into the, into the marketplace and they might have gotten unclean. And they were telling people that you had to do that to be, to be pure before God's eyes. And that was, a, that was a must. And if you didn't do that, you were breaking the tradition of the elders. And you're a sinner. And you're an unclean person and, and disgusting. And they're the kind of people that would call this woman a dog, a vicious, wild, rabid dog. And I half wonder, Jesus just left that with his disciples. And she comes in and he refers to her as a pet, a puppy. I half wonder if he winked at them. We'll give the, the bread to the pets. A little, little wink over there. Making the connection, guys? Are you getting it? We're not, we're not degrading her. We're not tearing her down. We're not doing what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did. We're not putting people out. We're not putting walls up against people because they're not like us. No, because she, she's got value. She's not a waste of our time. But there's a, there is a priority here. There's a comparison. You don't feed the puppies, the pets first. You feed the children first. Anyone can understand that. You don't, you don't ignore the children and feed the, the pets. Uh, unfortunately, in 21st century America, we're going that direction. Like, like, I see billboards. Animals are people, too. No, they're not. That's completely wrong. So Jesus was making a comparison to this woman. She was not privileged like the children of Israel were privileged. They were the privileged children. She was an unprivileged, a less privileged person. When Jesus came, he came to the privileged first. He came to the chosen, the Jewish people first. That was his first priority to them. You say, well, that's so exclusive and that's so, uh, you know, uh, what do they call that, ethnocentric. Yeah, I guess you could say that, but it wasn't because the Jews were special. It was just because God chose them centuries before, and he had given them a job. Their job was to be a light in the desert, a shining light, a light, a city on a hill, so that the rest of the world could see what it was like to follow God. And God decided to pick a group of people, train them up, give them the law, give them the instruction, help them to, to, to apply it, internalize it, spiritually form it in their life, become, you know, uh, you know uh, internalize the law, and then their job was to be a beacon to the rest of the world. To let the rest of the world know this is what it looks like. So yeah, that's a privilege, but it's also a responsibility that the Jews had. They were responsible. But guess what they did over the centuries? They put barriers up. We're privileged, you're not. We've got to put a wall between us and you now. And that's what the ceremonial law, that's what the tradition of the elders, we call it the Mishnah, that's what that was all about. It was all about saying, you're, we're it, you're not it. You're out, we're in. The funny thing is, is this woman understood that. This comparison was, was logical to her. It made sense. They weren't dumb. They saw the Jews and how they lived and behaved. They understood that there was a difference between their culture and their religious practice and her religious practice. So she was able to make the connection instantly that Jesus was, called, was just saying, hey, it's not no, it's not yet. 
It's not your time now. I'm coming for these people first. Not no, not yet. And she would have understood that. And, and she might have even appreciated being called a pet when other people would have called her a dog. It might have been actually a little bit of a, oh, thank you. I'm not totally worthless. It's just not, it's not no, it's, it's not yes. How many here have pets? Like dogs? Okay, I have two. And uh, I don't know about your dogs, but <coughs> at dinner time, or whenever food exists anywhere in our house, we have this little black dog. And this little dog, you know, she, she just gets on her best behavior, and she knows when we're eating, and she is excited when we're eating. I mean, she sit, sits up, she yaps, she barks, she, you know, she, she's trying to get our attention, you know, it's like she's calling your name, Joe, Joe, I'm over here, Joe, Joe. She would run around the table, run around, she could, you know, you know, we sit down at dinner, they come running. The old, well, other one's really old, and he's kind of half blind, so he doesn't know where he's going, but the, the little black one... <laughs> She's there, and she is at attention, and she is ready and excited, and I'm never, I'm always amazed how I, you know, I may take a bite, and there might be a, just a little piece of gristle, not even, you know, I mean, just nothing, a crumb, and I throw it, and she is ecstatic. She doesn't even, she just swallows it, but she's ecstatic, because she got something. She got a crumb. She just got a little bit, and I'm like, I don't I wouldn't even have tasted that. I only spit it out because it was hard. I, you know, it hurt my tooth, and I throw it on the floor, and she's, she's over the moon. And every time we sit down for dinner, she, they remember that, and they come running back, hoping for the morsel. You know, we do nobody any good. We do no good to someone if we don't tell them the truth about their status. When Jesus said, not no, not yet, when he called her a pet, he was making it clear that she was actually not privileged like the Jews were. You could call that harsh, but I think it was the truth. He was just being honest, and she would have understood that. You know, when, when we present Jesus Christ to the people around us, the world around us, the worst possible thing we can do is sugarcoat it, candy coat it, try to soften it, try to make it sound like it's something it isn't. And sometimes we do that. We try to present it in every other possible way except for the cold, hard truth. And sometimes, in fact, all the time, the cold, hard truth is important. You don't know where you are if someone doesn't tell you where you are. The people walking around this world to us today, the, the people in your school at junior high and in high school, they don't know that they're not privileged. And it's our job to let them know that. And that's a tough job. That's why the Jews had a hard time with it. Because how do you go around and say, well, you know, God's on my side, not with you. And how do you, how do, that just doesn't go well in any culture. so hard that's why we believe we let people belong before they believe that's why we we communicate it with love and that's what i see jesus doing he's not being harsh chauvinistic you know uh, uh racist uh, an anti-feminist here that's not what he's doing he's just telling her the truth and he's presented it in actually a kind way it's, it's actually a very straightforward and direct interaction he has with her to tell her where she's really at and, and yet she still has value in his eyes 
Boy, you figure that out, let me know. But that's what we have to figure out as Christians. We have to figure out how to tell the truth. And then in such a way that people can, can listen to it. And not just blast them out of the water with our privilege. I want you to look at this woman's response. Verse 28, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now she added under the table because she understood he was talking about pets. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Maybe the most remarkable, if not the most, in the top three most remarkable responses in all of the Bible. From a Gentile woman. Less privileged. But what an incredible response. She didn't go out and join the local chapter of now and start marching for her rights. She didn't get a drum circle going and start protesting. She didn't start shouting Jesus down everywhere he went. She understood what he said, and she replied with a beautiful, amazing statement. Basically, the interaction for our language went something like this. Jesus said, hey, we don't give the, the meal to the pets. And she said, yes, but the pets love the crumbs. Think of my little dog and how excited my little pet dog, Charlotte, gets when we sit down to eat. And she is just happy to have whatever I throw at her or draw, falls off the table. She is on it like white on rice. It's hers. And she's thrilled and she remembers it and she comes back for it every single time. She has no concept. There's no pretense in her that she should be sitting at the table enjoying the meal with the rest of us. She's just grateful for whatever provision God provides. Even the smallest portion of God's provision was enough for her. Jesus was so pleased, he was so encouraged by this woman's response that he healed her daughter without even getting up from the table. One of three in all of the Bible that I know of where Jesus just healed someone remotely. <laughs> when I first came to the faith, I, I didn't think I deserved a meal. I was so moved by Mike's communion. Because he really paints that picture of someone who isn't entitled. Someone who isn't judging what's going on around them. Someone who isn't so privileged that they forgot what a privilege it is. But I believe that I've fallen into that trap. I, like the Pharisees, have been so privileged by Christ, that I have forgotten what it means to be privileged in Christ. And so any morsel is no longer good enough for me. If it's not the meal, and if it's not the meal I order, send it back. And I am not alone in this because I know everyone in this room. 
And every one of us has fallen into this trap. We have become so privileged that we don't even appreciate the crumb anymore. We don't see the value in any blessing from God unless it's the one we've ordered. I'm not alone. Jesus hasn't stopped giving. You and I have stopped receiving. You say, hey, I don't get much out of family group. I don't get much out of church. Oh, the music isn't this way. Cotton picking, where do you live? Do you not see the morsels, the crumbs, the meal, the food that's being poured out in front of you? Not by me, not by your family group leader, not by Peter Wade singing an awesome song, but by God himself. And you are dismissive of it. You blow it off. I got to drive to see me for church. I got to get out of my house on a Wednesday night and show up. Really? This woman puts us to shame. We have stopped seeing the value. We've stopped being so receptive. We're no longer like the pet, happy to just get something. We're no longer like that. I was like that. I didn't care how weird the family group people were when I went. They were weird. I didn't care that we met in a barely what you could call a hotel. When I, as a matter of fact, my first midweek, do you know where my first midweek was? It was at a bowling alley. Every time the back door opened, you'd hear, <laughs> drunk people would wander in. What's going on in here? I'm not lying. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I mean, they would walk in. We moved from there to Mission Hills Inn. We called it the Plywood Palace because it was forever being worked on, and it smelled like smoke because they had bingo there like every night of the week except for Wednesday. It wasn't even safe. Crazy people walked into that one. <laughs> one of my favorite moments was three people walked in, um, and they believed, it was two guys and a girl, and they were obviously uh, very unkempt and, and uh, you know, had no place to live, and they asked for her to be exercised because they were convinced she had a demon. Now, that was through all the alcohol in their breath and whatever else was going on, their eyes were rolling around. And I said, oh, sure, I got someone that can help you. And I went and found the minister laughing. Hey, uh, bro, there's three people that want to meet you in the hallway. He went out all excited. <laughs> he got stuck talking to them for like 20 minutes before he had to go up and preach. I think he actually prayed for the demon to leave the woman eventually to get them to go on. But, but this was the environment. And I was grateful. I was, I loved being there. I love Monty Python. Remember that old skit? Well, you know, I grew up in a cardboard box. Two old, you know, old men talking about their lives. Oh, I lived in a cardboard box. Oh, cardboard box. You're lucky. We didn't even have a cardboard box. We had, you know, we had a, we had to lay on the open ground. Open ground. Well, you're lucky. We, we slept on a, in a train station, you know, and they just go on and on and on talking about how, how rough it was in the old days. I'm not trying to do that. Uh, please, 
This isn't a mockery. This is a very important point, guys. If you're ever going to let Christ be formed in you, you're going to have to let Christ in you. You're going to have to receive it. You're going to have to open up and be like this woman and receive him. Even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when you don't totally get it, even if it's a bit off-putting, even if it doesn't mesh with your background and where you come from and what you're all about, even if it doesn't do that for you, you still have to open up and let Christ in. This woman puts me to shame. She puts us all to shame. I don't know if she's in heaven, but if she is, I want to meet her. She's one of the ones I want to go find. Tell me, how did you know? How did you, what was going on there? I mean, I'm so impressed with who this person is. Because she was grateful for even the crumbs. In fact, she didn't even think of them as crumbs. They were a meal to her. Here's the point. This is the whole point. Take this home. This is it. We're done after this. I got a short story. We're done. <laughs> Ready? If we're ever going to form Christ in us, we're going to have to stop expecting from God and start accepting from God. Last week, we talked about learn it. Did you spend time in your word this week? Did you go back to the scriptures and, and listen to the voice of God and learn the faith? We also talked about try it, put it on, try it out for size, test drive it. Did you put what you read into practice? If you're ever going to let Christ be in you and form you and make you into someone new, you're going to have to stop expecting and start accepting whatever it is that falls from the table of Jesus Christ. You know, that woman was drawn, I mean, that moth was drawn to that podiatrist because the light was on. This woman was drawn to Christ because the light was on. She was receptive. She saw the value of even the crumbs. In the Jewish faith, one of the holy days of the year is Passover, and it celebrates their, their freedom or their escape from slavery in Egypt. And there's a tradition that goes with the, the whole practice of Passover and the meal and the Seder and blessings and prayers, but there's a song that's kind of a traditional song sung during Passover. <laughs> the song is called the Dainu. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but something like that. I want you to listen to the lyrics. Talking about God. If he had rescued us from Egypt, but not punished the Egyptians, it would have been enough. If he had punished the Egyptians, but not defeated their gods, it would have been enough. If he had given us the Sabbath, but not led us to Mount Sinai, it would have been enough. If he had led us to Mount Sinai by not giving us the Torah, it would have been enough. If he had not given us the Torah, but, brought us into the but not brought us into the land of Israel, 
it would have been enough. When is Christ enough? When is it no longer about all the the bells and the whistles and all the other fancy cool stuff that we want to have? When does that end? And when does it just become about Christ being enough? Like this woman. The title of the song is Enough for Us. That's what Deu means. It's my prayer that we leave here singing this song. And if we do, we will take another step towards forming Christ in your life. We're going to stand and close with a final song.